From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Well, thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. That was a lot of fun with uh, John B. Wells. I hope you were able to join us for that hour and definitely would love to have that cat back on. Uh, Carlos Kajina is the technical producer. Ryan White is the live stream producer. And we are live streaming on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. Don't forget, we now have a, a channel on Rumble as well, rumble.com. And again, you've got to search under channel. Once you get onto rumble.com, search under channel. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. And we've just posted a few videos up there. We're just kind of getting our feet wet, just in case we have to uh, bug out of YouTube so you can find us on Rumble. Of course, you can still follow me on Twitter at Richard Serrett and uh, also on Gab at Richard Serrett. In an age of big government and big tech and big data, you need to learn and practice what my guest this hour is about to relate before it's too late. Gabriel Custodiet is the author of the recent book, The Watchman Guide to Privacy, which explains how to reclaim one's freedom, security, and peace of mind, all in a merciful and focused 200 pages. So what does he reveal about himself is his background in cybersecurity, which led him to research and eventually consult about privacy in the broadest sense possible, financial, physical, legal, etc. But that's only the surface. Gabriel agrees with Aristotle that the how and why are much more important than the what. And for this reason, Gabriel enjoys, above all, helping others to understand the deeper philosophy that undergirds privacy and freedom, which he sees as two sides of the same coin. His newsletter and in-progress second book examine the world events and systems that threaten privacy and the individual, and he remains an avid defender of privacy and the authentic living it can foster until his dying breath. Gabriel, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, Richard. A little bit discouraged by the state of the world these days, but, you know, as Milton said, the mind is its own place and in itself can make a heaven of hell a hell of heaven. Well said. Well said. So privacy does not seem to be a priority with, I've noticed with particularly younger people, millennials. It doesn't seem to be something that they think a lot about. Why should we be concerned about our privacy? Well, first of all, I would say you can make that decision for yourself, but don't make it for me. I'll make my own decision. But I also think these people are lying. I would say to the person, give me your email address. I know a couple people who can destroy your life, get into your accounts, wipe out your finances, send unforgivable messages to your loved ones. You know, of course, there are things that people don't want revealed. And let me just give you a few examples. So maybe you're gay and you live in one of 11 countries where you can receive the death penalty for being gay. And maybe you use Facebook, which can out you in just a few clicks. Maybe you're a political dissident. I think we're all political dissidents. Did you hear uh, John Brennan come out and say that libertarians are extremists? So... You have American politicians using words like insurrection. It's astonishing. But that's government for you. It changes overnight, as do laws. And so that's partly why governments, by some statistics, killed 270 million people in the 20th century. Either it's doing that or imprisoning people thanks to fascistic private prisons and innumerable laws. 
It's estimated that Americans break three federal laws each day. You can look it up. There's an excellent entire book about it. And one in 20 Americans will spend time in prison, many for nonviolent crimes. That's an entire 5% of the population. Then you get, of course, to the what I call the legal industrial complex, where lawyers practice extended liability. So in other words, if they can find out your assets, if you haven't kept them private, then they can choose to sue you and wipe you out if they deem it's worthy of their time. So, you know, why is privacy important? Here's another statistic. Facebook is mentioned in more than one third of all divorce hearings. So I think statistics like that speak for themselves. Wow, and, that's an amazing statistic. And, you know, lack of privacy can also cost you money. Websites will charge you sometimes higher prices if they see you as a repeat customer or you visited before or they see you using a MacBook or coming from a wealthy zip code, they might up the price. And of course, search engines such as Google filter your information about the world based on your past search results, your location, your perceived politics. You're literally depriving yourself from any possibility of objective knowledge by not preserving your online privacy. I could talk more about people who have been swatted, killed by SWAT teams from somebody who didn't like them online and found their IP address or address via social media. One example happened in 2017 in, in Kansas. You know, I could talk about how these days politics in the West is what people are willing to kill for. And by revealing your politics, you can have your online businesses, your bank accounts, your life snuffed out. Privacy doesn't matter. Come on. That's so true. That's so true. There's a fascinating passage in the book. You write that former Google CEO Eric Schmidt once estimated that five exabytes of information had been created by humans between the dawn of civilization through 2003. Okay, so five exabytes from the beginning or the dawn of civilization through 2003. As of 2003, Schmidt claims that much information was being created every two days. 17 years later, we are pumping out even more data and all of it reveals something about ourselves. So you say the first privacy lesson is a negative one. Teach yourself to stop giving out your data. But some people might say, well, it's too late. The horse has bolted the barn. It's out there. I can't get it back. What do you say to that? Well, I'm sympathetic to that viewpoint. And it is true that once something is online, it's basically backed up in the servers of these companies moving forward. But there are all kinds of threat models. So maybe you delete something from Facebook and Facebook still retains it and the government can still and policing agencies can theoretically still have access to it. But you're protecting it from somebody else, some private investigator. So there's all kinds of threats out there. And by simply stopping your giving away your information, you are cutting off the source and narrowing the amount of people who have your data. So I, I kind of take you know, Jean-Paul Sartre's stance on this. He says, it's never too late to make yourself out of what you've been made into. And so it's just a matter of stopping the flow and working with what you have at that point. You say that you should be very hesitant to surrender the following data, except potentially to government types who can punish you for withholding it. So here's the list of things that you should be very hesitant to surrender. And I think people will be surprised by some of these. You should be very hesitant to surrender your real full name, your identification for anything more than cricket age verification, state or county ID number, home address, primary email address, real phone number, credit card, or other payment information. So how do you handle that? Someone asks you for your full name. I don't know. Let's say you're, you're applying for a card, some sort of a card in a store, a loyalty card. 
and they want your name and your your information. What do you do? In the case of a loyalty card at a store, that's not a huge deal. That's not something where if you were to give them a fake name, you're breaking the law, I would imagine in most cases. So in that case, I would give them a fake name. And if they you know, want a CID or something, I'd probably say that you know, I, I don't have it with me or something like that. But when I gave those rules, sure, it's a little bit extreme. And of course, there are cases all the time where we need to give out our real information. But I just want people to have a filter so that anytime you are giving out your information to somebody in front of you and you have that desire to comply with what they're saying or online, you just have that filter and that thing in the back of your head that says, wait a second, why do they want this? Do I really need to give this out? Can I get away with a fake name or a fake piece of information in this case? Is it really that important? And so just have that filter in the back of your head because there's a lot of stuff we give out that we really don't need to. You say we should choose services that don't require information about you. They're called zero-knowledge services. Can you give me some examples? Yeah, absolutely. One of the email services I recommend, and it's a good replacement for Gmail, it's called ProtonMail. And what zero-knowledge means, and this is one of these buzzwords, but zero-knowledge means that the company themselves cannot access your account. So if you have Gmail, Google can access your account they can see everything you're doing, et cetera. If you get locked out of your account, if you forget your password, of course, they can get you back in because they have the keys to the kingdom. Now, with something like ProtonMail, which, by the way, is based in Switzerland, if you get locked out of your account, that's it. You're done. Nobody can help you get back in. There are no keys to the kingdom. So it requires some responsibility on your part to remember these things, but it's a lot more secure and private in that way. Another example would be Bitcoin, right? If you forget your Bitcoin seed phrase, you are locked out forever. But that also means that you are quite protected because nobody else can get into your account. There's no centralized authority that has access to all these things. And I'll give you one more example. The popular private messenger right now, Signal, they are a zero knowledge provider, which means that they themselves also do not have access to your information. We used to give up we were willing to give up some privacy for security. We allow our suitcases to be x-rayed and searched before we get on a plane. That's one thing, giving up privacy for security reasons. To a certain extent, I suppose that's okay. But now it seems like we're giving up privacy for convenience, wouldn't you say? I would definitely agree with you, Richard. And if you think about all the devices that are put in front of us, you know, you think about the phone. Think about the evolution of the computer. You had the computer where you actually had to know code in order to use it. And then it got slimmed down, right? You have Apple that comes in and says, look, you don't have to know all this stuff. You're just gonna download this and this and this. You don't have to know what's going on in the background. And then we get to the smartphone, which basically says, press the big shiny button. And that's literally all you have to know. And so we like this convenience. We're losing our ability to understand some of the things in our world as a result. And because of that, we forget you know, how powerful and complex these computer systems are. But you're absolutely right. Many people have given up their privacy for convenience, and it is a mistake that I think we're really going to regret pretty soon here. I want to talk about censorship and deplatforming just because it is so odious and it is going on. People's lives are being – their livelihoods are being destroyed simply for having the wrong opinion. There are people that rely, for example, on PayPal or there are even people that can no longer do business because they've been canceled by Visa. 
What can we do about that censorship and deplatforming? That is, of course, a very pertinent topic. I know that's something that you have been thinking about, and understandably so. You talk about controversial things. It's not difficult to talk about controversial things these days. Even me, you know, talking about privacy, that's, that's a dirty word. And so I also live in fear, you know. I'm waiting for Amazon to, you know, get rid of that book. You know, I, I already had a, an email. They said, we're, you know, we're reviewing your book. <laughs> I think the language was, you know, we're, we're sort of doing a check to see if it violates our you know, terms and services. But so the deplatforming and censorship. So first of all, we have to understand the system, understand what the Internet is. So the Internet was supposed to be a tool that was free for everybody. We go on there, we communicate, and it's a sort of neutral space. Of course, that's not the case anymore. We have most of the internet is owned by big companies. I think Amazon has 45% of the internet's bandwidth in its Amazon web services, its servers. So 45% of the internet traffic goes through Amazon's servers, and they're the people who shut down Parler. And so everywhere you go, you are literally, I guess, on somebody else's property. And so you go on YouTube and they can kick you off. Now, before they wouldn't do that, they wouldn't necessarily kick you off. But now we have what some people are calling a digital inquisition, where suddenly somebody is ganged up on and, you know, Apple drops you and then Google drops you and then, you know, your web servers are taken off and you're in serious trouble. And so what can you do? Well, first of all, you know, it's wise to have a website. You know, it's not it's actually very uncommon for people to get kicked off of a server. So have a website and have a backup website and use web servers that are in a different country like Iceland, like Denmark, like Switzerland. And there are some companies that promote free speech. And you can find these. I won't give out any names, but you can go and search for these and have a number of them, have a backup plan. Be on a podcast. I've not heard of podcasts getting shut down yet. You know, have a newsletter. I've not heard of newsletters getting shut down either. And of course, you can be on all the big ones, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, but also beyond the alternatives, Parler, when it still existed, BitChute, Library, LBRY, Locals. I heard you're on Rumble. And so it's good to diversify. By the way, you know, Rumble, I'm not sure what all these startup tech companies are going to do when you know, they run out of single word nouns in the dictionary. That <laughs> might be the, the, the real tragedy. And then, of course, have multiple ways of accumulating money. Visa and MasterCard and PayPal, in the past, they just processed money. Surprise, surprise. They just process money. But now, and here's an interesting example, Richard, Alex Jones Infowars was one of the first people to be shut down by PayPal, you know, one of the first big people. Before this show, I went and I looked at their statement about shutting him off, shutting him down, his account, his ability to take money from them. And this is what they said, quote, we found instances that promoted hate and discriminatory intolerance against certain communities and religions. And then they say, we want to ensure that PayPal is not used by anyone as a platform for perpetuating hate and discriminatory intolerance. Well, Richard, I might add that what they've done, I would consider discriminatory intolerance. And you might even argue is perpetuating hate in some way, depending on how you define hate. So, of course, it's all hypocrisy. It's all nonsense. It's all a power grab. And so a different way of accumulating money, of course, you know, get as many bank accounts as you can. Try to get a bank account offshore. Be on Patreon. Have sponsors take cryptocurrencies on your website. And then ultimately, we need to start to create our own systems and have some of this control back in our own hands. Gabriel Custodiat is my guest, the author of The Watchman Guide to Privacy. We were talking about uh, censorship deplatforming. What about 
maintaining let's start this conversation now and we'll we'll get into it a little bit and then continue after the break which is coming up in a couple minutes but privacy during uh, covid lock- lockdowns people um some people are going to go and visit with an elderly parent because quite frankly uh i think it's the right thing to do this you know the isolation and again i'm saying you know mitigate risk i'm not saying be reckless but you know we have neighbors now that are being encouraged to spy on other neighbors. Uh, so what can you tell us about maintaining privacy during co- the COVID lockdowns? Right. And, you know, I, I read about this. You can you maybe heard about this. What, wasn't there a lady maybe in Canada who um, decided to have assisted suicide because she she couldn't take the isolation? Do you, do you remember it's, this? Yes, it's happening. It is happening around uh, the world, I understand. It's right. It's, so it's, it's heartbreaking. Exactly. So, you know, all this, you know, we're, we're helping the old people. Okay, right. You know, um, well, you know, th- there's a pandemic going on out there for sure. And it's a pandemic of government overreach and technological medical tyranny, right? So I'm eager to do my part in, you know, helping people stay stay private during these times. Um, and let's be honest, right? These are simply the auger of even worse things to come in the next decade. So, you know, a lot of my privacy advice that I talk about in you know, the Watchman Guide sort of doubles as advice for these times. Uh, but there are a few things that we could focus on, um, and maybe I'll save that for after the break, or do we have a few seconds? No, let's uh, let's do that on the other side. Gabriel Custodiet, the author of The Watchman Guide to Privacy, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us more in a moment. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Gabriel Custodiet, The Watchman Guide to Privacy, and uh, we were talking about uh, privacy during COVID lockdowns. And just to be clear, again, we're not, uh, I, I have to offer this uh, disclaimer every time, but it's it's important. We're not saying that there isn't a pandemic. We're not saying that we should do what we can to mitigate risk. However, we still have a right to privacy, at least as of this hour. And um, let's face it, um, people can sometimes be a little overzealous in uh when they're given a little bit of responsibility and power and when neighbors are being encouraged to snoop and spy on neighbors and we're seeing this play out, um, you know, uh, maybe someone goes to visit their elderly parents because they've been isolated for a while and it's not good for their mental health. And so you have to assess risk and say to yourself, well, I've been living in a bubble for a while. I think I'm, I know I'm asymptomatic. I'm going to go visit my my 95-year-old mother. I might even hug her. Perish the thought. But she needs human contact. She needs uh, to see her children. And uh, I think we have to take that risk. There's more to life than simply avoiding death. Uh, so then you have a, a neighbor who sees a car in the driveway and calls the police and before you know it, we have people being pulled out of the house by their ear. Civil liberties be damned. And this is where we're at. So uh, we're talking about maintaining your privacy during COVID lockdowns. Go ahead, Gabriel. Yeah. And so, of course, all of the regular privacy techniques double during this time. But I'll focus on a couple of things, including what you mentioned just there. Right. So, yeah, I was deeply disturbed 
earlier in 2020 to check my local Reddit and I saw people shaming others who were not wearing masks around town and suggesting they get reported or, or their, their shops boycotted. It's nasty East Germany, turn your neighbor in kind of stuff going on out there. And for those who think that, oh, you know, we're not like, you know, we're not like those those people in the past who, you know, turned to tyranny, who turned to dictators. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. Um, but so a couple things you can do, right? You know, uh, be selective about when you go places, you know, go places early in the morning, uh, late at night. Um, I'm a big advocate of building a garage so that people can't see who's coming and going. Um, of course, you know, consider moving elsewhere, you know, do your research. Um, and then, you know, the, the other big thing with COVID, the COVID lockdowns is the contact tracing. And this is simply, you know, taking cellular phone technology that we've integrated into our lives for the last decade and using it against us. So first of all, if you want privacy and freedom, of course, you know, you won't participate in, in these sorts of things. Um, that goes without saying. Um, it's more tricky if you live somewhere where it's mandatory. Uh, some of the more totalitarian jurisdictions right now, like Poland, uh, if you go off the radar for more than you know 20 minutes or something, they'll, they'll come after you. And there are serious, serious consequences for breaking the rules. I, I read the other day, a lady in Singapore is facing five months in prison for messing with her contact tracing. So if you're in that situation, I don't know what to say. You know, move if you can, you know, pray, hire a boat. I don't know. Um, but if you're in a slightly less authoritarian place, you can try to play the, you know, I don't have a phone card. Um, see where it gets you. Um, you know, if you use Internet-based messaging apps, uh, then you can go from Wi-Fi to Wi-Fi without having to use your phone um, and having it blast out your location all the time. Um, and, you know, I'm a big advocate during these times of just doubling down on learning to do without your phone. And we can talk about phone privacy separately. I, I think it's a it's a big issue, but especially now when your phone could potentially, you know, uh, be giving out a signal that you know is indicating whether or not you're being a bioterrorist or not. Um, it's especially important to sort of double down on the phone privacy. Um, and, you know, maybe a couple other things I'll say is if you do go traveling, you know, just you know, be careful. Um, there was an example of a anti-lockdown protest. I think this was in Denver several months ago. And there was an organization that actually tracked the phone number, the the phones of the people who were there. And they, they were noticing what states they were turned to. Right now, keep in mind that these people are considered attempted murderers, basically, right? As I said, bioterrorists. So, and, and this isn't fancy technology. You, you can go to Verizon and use something called Verizon Insights and buy the phone location information for people who have attended certain kinds of rallies, right? It's a, it's a marketing thing. Now, they don't reveal the names of course, the government would know that, but it just shows you how easy some of this stuff is. So, you know, if you're doing this kind of stuff, if you're traveling, I advocate, you know, don't bring your phone or put it in a Faraday bag, which is a special bag that blocks all signals. And you can take the phone out when you're ready to use it again. Um, and if, you know, use a GPS unit, a dedicated GPS unit, in, you know, instead of using Google Maps on your phone. Um, and just start to think through these kind of systems and, you know, stop relying on tech so much and, and plan accordingly. Um, when you travel, you know, of course, use cash, uh, you know, even for fueling your car, um, you know, and if you stay at a hotel, Airbnb, try to go outside of the Airbnb system, um, you know, try to get into a hotel, you know, with without your name. Um, and, you know, I guess the last thing to say is, you know, there's a lot of people who are having to go back to work or school, and they're having to, you know, do all these kinds of things, go to testing, give up extra information. And this is a reminder, first of all, that it's really great to be self-employed. 
And so, especially now, you can you know you can create a consulting company and you know deal with your biz, deal with your you know original company in that kind of way. You know, starting a business is a really fundamental way to get out of these systems. And if you can't do that and you're at home, uh, just a reminder, you know, protect your cybersecurity. There's a lot of phishing attacks going on right now because hackers uh, and malicious actors know that people are home and they're, they've never been on their computers more. And so watch out for phishing attacks. We can, we can talk more about that. Um, but be very careful what you click on in your emails. You know, keep your software updated. Um, you know, and separate your business from your personal accounts when you're working from home. Um, and so the, these are just a couple of, of tips for the, the COVID lockdown times. 5G is being rolled out and we're told that uh, this is you know, necessary infrastructure in order to create what they're calling the Internet of all things. Uh, it's going to be, I would imagine, far more difficult in this Internet of all things to, to, to maintain privacy. What are some of the what are some of the risks? What are some of the the the, uh, the problems as you see it with this and the challenges with this Internet of all things and 5G? All right. So so the Internet of things and, and 5G is just a an easier way of, of facilitating these things. Um, and so, you know, th- these days there's so much stuff being connected. Right. You know, uh, I think of the you know the British novel Howard's End by Ian Forster. And he has this this epigraph and he says, you know, only connect. Right. And, you know, whatever that means, we're, we're definitely doing it today. Right. We want to connect our devices, our accounts, you know, our, our Tesla car and solar panels to our phone which I think is mandatory actually for Tesla. Um, you know, websites say, you know, don't worry about a new account, just sign in with your Apple ID. And you know, um, one of the people high up in Cisco, and Cisco is a, is a big tech company. Um, this person said, quote, we estimate that only 1% of things that could have an IP address do have an IP address today. So we, we, like, we like to say that 99% of the world is still asleep. And then she goes on to say, it's up to our imaginations to figure out what will happen when the 99% wakes up. So that's that's kind of creepy when I hear that. But, you know, what kind of things could happen? Well, there's another good book. It's called Future Crimes by Mark Goodman. And this is what he says about the Internet of all things. This is his imagination, thinking about how it could work. And he says, quote, at the scene of a suspected crime, cops will be able to interrogate their refrigerator and ask the equivalent of, hey, buddy, did you see anything? Child social workers will know that there hasn't been any milk or diapers in the house, and the only thing stored in the fridge has been beer for the past week. The Internet of Things also opens up the world for perfect enforcement. When sensors are everywhere and all data are tracked and recorded, it becomes more likely that you will receive a moving violation for going 26 miles per hour in a 25 mile per hour zone and get a parking ticket for being 17 seconds over on the meter. As today's red light cameras have already shown, when everything is connected, nothing can be hidden, particularly when infractions translate into revenue for government agencies and their business partners. And so he wrote that four years ago. Uh, and of course, today we're already seeing this kind of thing. You know, think of an Amazon Alexa, which is sitting in your home. Now, Amazon admits, you can go look this up, that they have given the information from Alexas to policing agencies who have requested them. And so Alexas are listening to everything that you're saying. It, it seems to be that they're listening to everything you're saying. And so, I mean, that's kind of silly to have these kind of devices, but it just shows you that we're so obsessed with connecting things. And, you know, the other thing, the ultimate connection device, Richard, are you familiar with uh, Elon Musk's neural link? 
Oh, yes. Yes. This frightens Absolutely. me. Yes. And so basically the Neuralink, you are literally sewing a, a computer chip to people's brains. And it has the uh, ability to change emotions, you know, even it seems manipulate thoughts. It, it's a scary future, but this is all in the trend of connected, being connected for the sake of, of being connected. Um, and, you know, uh, <laughs> I like to tell people to say, oh, I'll never use a neural link. Well, what happens when it triples people's IQ and you can't compete anymore? What's going to happen then? You're going to be a, a second class citizen at this point. So, you know, this, you know, always connected means always watching, means chilling effect means control and censorship and self-censorship and the erosion of the individualism that could even fathom privacy. And so, go ahead. I was just going to say, though, isn't there a risk that if we if we opt out of these things, it's like the Luddites during the uh, the Industrial Revolution. You know, they were they objected to this mechanization and they didn't want people to be they didn't want to lose their job. Uh, and so they would, you know, you've heard the that old saying about throwing um, throwing a monkey wrench into the machine. That's where it started, right? With the Luddites. They tried to physically damage this this uh, equipment in order to prevent more automation. So now here we are, uh, I guess the equivalent of, of the Luddite, trying to uh, opt out. But if we opt out, won't we be left behind? It's almost like, you know, if you don't take the mark of the beast, you won't be able to sell or buy. Yeah, no, it, it's a good point. I don't have an easy answer. I'm 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 not anti-technology. Obviously, you know, I'm 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 interested in cybersecurity. I you know I have all these things that are great assets in my life. I you know I love technology. Um, but the thing that I see about things like Neuralink is that when we start to get to changing fundamentally changing human nature, right? Changing the human. Right when you become part of essentially a hive mind is what Neuralink is doing. You are eroding human nature. You are eroding the basic reality of the universe, which is that we have access to our own private mind. And so, Gabriel, you know, I got to jump in. Pardon the interruption. We're going to take a quick time out. We'll come back and pick up on that point. The Watchman Guide to Privacy. Gabriel Custody, at my guest, right here on the Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Gabriel Custodia, the author of The Watchman Guide to Privacy. He is a privacy uh, expert and consultant and uh, cybersecurity expert. So we were talking about Elon Musk's Neuralink, this fusion of humankind and the computer, where a computer essentially would be somehow connected to the human brain. You had a few more points on that before we moved on to other matters. Yeah, the argument that people will put against me or, or people like me when, when I criticize it is that, oh, you're a, you know, you're a neo-Ludite. You don't believe in progress. And I want to interrogate the idea of progress. Progress is not just change. I think we need to look at progress as something that is improvement. For example, think about a, an AI sex robot. That is, in many ways, an impressive piece of technology. That is progress. But is that a good thing? I think that uh, in many ways is degraded. And I think in many ways, that is regression uh, in a number of ways. So we have to be careful about whether progress is just progress for its own sake, or whether it is a meaningful contribution to human nature. And of course, I'm not saying by any of this that I'm going to you know, go to the government and say, you know, ban Elon Musk from creating Neuralink. I'm just not interested in these kinds of 
human nature changing things for myself. But you know, we never actually were allowed in on that conversation. I was talking to someone recently about robotics and the fourth industrial revolution and the huge job displacement. We're talking about upwards of 60 million permanent job losses in North America in the next five years. Those jobs aren't coming back. Why do people think they're they're beta testing this universal income scheme during COVID? Uh, it's because they realize that they're going to have 60 million people that won't be able to fend for themselves. And so um, uh, this, but we never, we never actually had a, any public discourse on whether we wanted a robotic revolution, if whether we wanted artificial intelligence, it was kind of foisted upon us. And now, of course, it's it's too late. But in order to to main to remain a functioning member of society, um, to, I it, it seems like they have us coming or going. I don't know if we can ever we can escape this at this point. It, it may be it may be too late, Gabriel. What do you think? Well, you you could be you could be right about that. It's hard to say. Um, I guess my approach is to uh, always say, you know, just be informed about these things. You know, tell other people about these things because you're right that it's it's not a conversation that's happening. Um, and really do your due diligence. Understand these things. Get money for yourself. Right. Uh, if you are uh, a person who is, you know, one of the people who is who can understand the engineering of these robots, who can understand the code behind them, then uh, you are in a position of power, right? Uh, there, there's a good quotation. I forget who said it. He said, in the future, there's going to be two kinds of people, those who give instructions to computers and those who receive instructions from computers. And so I guess my approach is just get to a position where you can be the kind of person who would be giving instructions to computers and then you can uh, you know, have a say in the discourse. Uh, I recently left WhatsApp because of new, um, new terms and conditions that were mandatory that go into effect on February 3rd. And I, I guess it had to do with giving up more of our d- uh, data to Facebook, which uh, my small way of fighting back was I deleted WhatsApp and I, I decided to go with another messaging service called Telegram. And then someone told me that um, Apple and these uh, tech tyrants, uh, I call them digital death squads, uh, have decided that Telegram is a repository of hate and intolerance and um, they can't allow that to stand. And so they may actually go, if you have an Apple phone, which I do, they may actually delete the app without your foreknowledge. Can they do that? Um, that's a good question. I, I'm not sure. They can obviously take it off of their store. Can they delete it from your phone? I don't know. I mean, I suppose they can. The thing about Apple, Richard, is that they have they have such a walled garden. They have such control over every aspect of their technology that when you buy into Apple, you basically right. Apple says, "Oh, we, you know, we 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 protect your privacy." Well, you know, maybe they can. But that is a, a thing and decision that only I can make. And so Apple likes to wave the magic wand and say, um, here's what we're introducing onto our software. And you don't really have a say in it. That's just the, the ecosystem that you buy into. So I don't know if they can actually remove Telegram uh, from your phone. Um, I, I guess we'll have to find out. 
You know, it used to be that, you know, your crazy uncle who would uh, swear up and down even in the 1970s that our television sets were watching us. Turns out our crazy uncle was true just ahead of his time. Uh, to what extent are our TV, our smart TVs actually watching us? I'm going to leave that as a kind of a, a cliffhanger because we're up against a break here. This was a short segment. So, Gabriel, hold on. I'll get you to address that. And uh, much more. We'll talk about ways we're losing privacy that we're not even aware of. Back with more of my conversation with Gabriel Custodiet, the author of The Watchman Guide to Privacy. Stay with us. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. So to what extent are our televisions watching us and listening to us, Gabriel? Yeah, so today you go to a store and you know you buy a TV and almost all of them are smart TVs. So what is a smart TV? Well, a smart TV basically means that it connects to the internet. It connects to the Wi-Fi. And so when you set up that TV, it's going to ask to connect to your Wi-Fi network. <clears throat> and at that point, it could be sharing all kinds of stuff. So a smart TV has built into it various apps, right? It has your Netflix, it has your Google Prime, whatever you know, whatever you want, it usually has built in. And the reason why these TV prices are so cheap these days is because they are these TV manufacturers, it seems, um, and I, I'm pretty sure there's some some uh, documentation of this, are selling some of your viewing data. So you may say, well, who cares what I watch? Who cares if they know what I watch? Well. You know, they could, um, you know, they, they can see what kinds of programs you're interested in. You, they have sophisticated algorithms. They could probably guess your politics. They can see your IP address from your Wi-Fi, which means they know your location, right? So this is all very, <laughs> this is all very juicy, important data. Now, in addition to that, a lot of smart TVs do have uh, microphones these days that are built into them. And this is for... Um, you know, giving it verbal instructions, right? Because we can't be bothered to pick up the remote anymore. We have to <laughs> sit on our sofa and tell the TV what to do. Um, and so it, it's really hard to spot these things. You really sort of have to look at the details of your, of your TV um, and, and see where these kinds of things are. Now, what can you do about this? Well, it, it's difficult because all, all the TVs these days are, are smart TVs. And so what you can do if you if you need a smaller TV, uh, go for a computer monitor. They don't have these uh, sorts of things. Um, computer monitors don't get that big, uh, unfortunately. Um, besides that, you can try to track down an older TV, and you know this is a good time to um, you know learn to buy things outside of Amazon. Uh, and so you know go to Craigslist, uh, you know go to um, Facebook Marketplace, you know go go somewhere else and, and buy an old TV. Um, because yeah, I I certainly don't want my TV um, reporting my location, what I'm watching, how often I watch it, um, and possibly even listening to me. That's something I definitely don't want in a TV. I want to go back to phones because we we, we touched on phone privacy, but I want to drill down a little deeper on that. So run us through some, some do's and don'ts for uh, smartphone pri privacy. Absolutely. <clears throat> so... The important thing to realize about the phone is that it's different from your computer. And it's different from your computer in a couple of ways. First of all, of course, it has a chip that sends out an, electro an electronic signal to a nearby uh, tower, 
right? That's how we can use the phone and use the internet, you know, wherever we are. But of course, by doing that, that is pinpointing our location to the uh, telecom provider, you know, within a couple of meters. So that's a very revealing thing. And, you know, we can, we can come back to, uh, I mean, just, just look at COVID, the COVID lockdowns for how important your location is. Um, but we can come back to that geolocation aspect of phones. The other difference that your phone has compared to your computer is that it has what I would call a highly incestuous operating system, right? So we talked earlier about how phones are built from the ground up for convenience. And so a lot of these apps are communicating with each other. There was a Wall Street Journal article uh, in 2019, and they showed that your Facebook app was communicating with a number of different apps on the phone, including a menstruation tracker, including an investment tracker, and they were sharing stuff, right? And so you also have on your phone a camera and a microphone, and you mix all these things together, and suddenly you really have no clue what kinds of things are uh, are being shared and, and amalgamated, right? And of course, a phone is different from the computer in that we always have it with us. So it's there, you know, the microphone is there at all times. Um, and it's beaming out our location at all times. Right. And so what I tell people, first of all, of course, is, you know, stop relying on your phone for as many things as you do. Do more things on your PC or laptop. Um, you know, these days you can even make phone calls from a computer. Right. I went an entire month uh, last year without a phone. And, you know, I run a business. I do tech stuff. Um, you know, I have I have family I need to talk to. I went an entire month without a phone, and that's because you can make these calls from a computer these days, and you can use services like MySudo, which is an internet-based uh, sort of phone service. And so the other thing I would say is, on your phone, be minimalist, right? So if all these apps are communicating with each other, then don't download them, right? You don't need a YouTube app on your phone. Get a browser such as the Firefox Focus browser, which is pretty good, and go to YouTube from there, right? You don't need a dedicated weather app. Get rid of the weather app, and these weather apps share location and all kinds of stuff. Just go and check the weather from the browser. And so go through your phone and uh, remove everything you don't need. And while you're at it, remove some of the permissions that some of these apps do have that you think they don't need. And then, of course, um, you know, stop using the basic SMS text messaging. Don't use the basic SMS text messaging. Don't use the standard phone calling. We have, as you mentioned, Richard, better options, more private options. You mentioned Telegram. Um, I like to recommend Signal and Session and Wire. These are zero-knowledge services, end-to-end -end encrypted, uh, much better than SMS, much more secure. Um, you should be using these to communicate with everybody in your circle. Um, just a couple of other things for phones, you know, keep your camera covered, especially the one facing you. You can get, you know, just a little piece of electric tape, um, especially if you don't take photos. You can even buy a little device called a mic lock to put in your uh, audio jack, and this will prevent the microphone from working. Um, and you can take it out whenever you need to use it. Um, and if you really want to start over from scratch, you can, you know, buy a new phone with cash, of course, and then buy a SIM card with cash, and that way you don't have to register your name uh, in, in many countries. You don't have to register your name at all with this, and you have a uh, basically a totally anonymous phone. Um, and then the last thing I'd say, Richard, is you know some people say, well, what kind of phone should I get? Well, you know, there's a myth that dumb phones are the solution. 
if only I have a dumb phone, it's not going to be communicating. Well, it's still beaming out your location, first of all. And with a dumb phone, you can't use the encrypted apps, uh, messaging apps that I just mentioned. So a dumb phone, unfortunately, is not the answer. Get a basic smartphone. I don't care if it's, you know, it's Apple, Android, whatever. Um, you know, some people like these super private privacy phones and such, but unfortunately, they don't use these secure messaging apps. And that I see as the characteristic of a good phone is that it can use these secure messaging apps. And at that point, you just simply have to change your behavior, stop making the phone the center of your life, and start making it what it should be, which is a useful way to communicate with people sometimes while you're out and about. We just have a, a couple minutes left. Run through a couple of ways that we're losing privacy that we're not even aware of, that we haven't discussed yet. Ah, yes. So um, here's a fun one. Um, uh, there's a company, WM Waste Management, and this is a you know this is a giant uh, waste management service in the United States, um, and they have a program. I'm not making this up. They have a program called Waste Watch, um, and and so this is exactly this is verbatim from their site. They say. Our truck drivers often drive through community streets in the early hours of the morning. This puts them in an ideal position to spot unusual and potentially dangerous situations, especially if they are trained to recognize signs of trouble. So, you know, some people in the privacy community have known this for a while, but, you know, let me break that down. You know, these trash people, the trash collectors, they're paid and they're trained to surveil your house and your trash. Um, and let me tell you another thing. Your trash is very revealing. Right? Your bank statements, your medications, your hobbies, your assets, uh, the list goes on. If you live in Europe and you put your TV box out by the road, uh, you might get a visit from the government about your TV license. Um, and so you, you can use your imagination uh, for what kinds of uh, trouble you could get into. Um, so, of course, the solution is make sure everything is in the bin. Uh, burn your trash if you can. Get a shredder especially a microcut shredder, um, and then burn that, uh, you know, dispose of items elsewhere. And, you know, just be aware, as with all the systems in our lives, be aware of um, what you're putting in the trash, because that is, uh, once you do that, public knowledge. How do we get a copy of uh, the Watchman Guide to Privacy? So um, the Watchman Guide to Privacy is available on Amazon. Uh, it's on sale in honor of this show, uh, maybe for the next 48 hours or so. And of course, I, I'm working on other avenues in which to sell it. You know, we just bashed uh, t uh, big tech companies. Um, so that's the Watchman Guide to Privacy. And I wrote it because I believe it's the most important information that you can have today. So, And um, are you, um, I mean, do you, obviously you practice what you preach, but does it does it make life more difficult for you or is it just second nature now withholding information and, and and so forth yeah it does become second nature uh, and anybody who's getting into this stuff I would say just ease into it slowly it does become second nature it doesn't hold you back um, and you will find that you know once you become more private more minimalist that uh, life can become more enjoyable there's fewer distractions you you know have more genuine interactions with people um, and a lot of the buzz that's surrounding the average person sort of dissipates so it is definitely worth the effort all right Gabriel thank you so much very uh, useful uh, information that you've related tonight I really appreciate you hanging out well, thank you all for listening. I hope this was helpful. 
Gabriel Custodia, The Watchman Guide to Privacy. Uh, next week, Matt Landman will be with us, activist Matt Landman, documentary filmmaker for the full two hours talking about uh, 5G. Speaking of 5G, which uh, we just alluded to. All right, that's it for us. My thanks to Carlos and Ryan. Back next week. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I, pro- what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. <laughs>